Hey, everybody that listens to Superhumans at Work, know that all of these episodes are recorded with a live studio audience. Mind Valley members get a chance to join these sessions with the author themselves while we record these sessions. And at the end of every show, they actually get to participate in a Q&A session as well. If ever you're interested in joining Mind Valley All Access and become a member yourself, you'll get access to all the incredible courses from Mind Valley and so much more to be involved with Superhumans at Work, the Mind Valley podcast, and all the other incredible features when you become a member. We are disrupting the way that education works for the 21st century and we want you to be a part of it. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can learn more about this incredible offer, which will cost you less than $2 a day. That's mindvalley.com forward slash S-U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. Now let's get started with the show. Everything is created twice. Everything. The clothing we're wearing, Zoom was created twice. The technology, whether you're using a laptop or a tablet or a cell phone to be in this meeting with us, you look around the walls, the ceiling, the floor, everything was created twice, which means it had to be a thought before it could be a thing. So there's an invisible side to all things visible. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I have an incredible guest today, Mary Morrissey, who's an international speaker, best-selling author, CEO, consultant, visionary, and empowerment specialist. We're going to be talking about spiritual secrets so that we can multiply our money. We talk a lot about how the world is abundant, but how can you apply that to your specific life? Are there things that we should be tapping into? Are there secrets we should be knowing about? And are there specific methods that we can apply, whether we're in a career as an entrepreneur, that allows us to be more open to the possibilities that exist in the world? Now, Mary's been founder and owner of Brave Thinking Institute, which is on a mission to help others build their dreams and live a life in harmony with their soul's purpose. She has over 40 years experience empowering individuals in achieving new heights of spiritual aliveness, wealth, and authentic success. She has spoken around the world and with some of the elite teachers in personal development. And together with the Gandhi and the Martin Luther King Foundation, she's also done a ton of work in philanthropy, has spoken in front of the UN, has spoken at TEDx stages and written two best-selling books, No Less Than Greatness and Building Your Field of Dreams, which actually became a PBS special. Mary Morrissey is with us today. It is such an honor and privilege. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. You've achieved so much in your career. It's so impressive. What fuels you to be able to do such incredible things for so long? Because you've been in the business for 40 years. What wakes you up in the morning, gets you excited? The same thing that's been getting me excited since 1971, when I began to study transformation, it made such a difference in my life. I wanted everybody I knew to have the ability to transform their circumstances, situations, and conditions into much more life-giving results. And we're not trained in that. We're trained in what I call condition-based living. If we want to make a change, we look to our current conditions for permission to make that change. And it's actually backwards. The conditions are the reflection of the mindsets we've been in and the patterns that we've been running. So it completely changed my life. I studied for a decade everything I could find in the field of transformation, got a master's degree in counseling psychology, honorary doctorate. But ultimately, that has never changed for me. I am passionate about helping people make the changes they want to make in their lives. 
Amazing. Well, thank you for what you do. That's so incredible. And let's just jump right into it. We talk about, you know, secrets when it comes to making more money, multiplying your money. And it sounds like a lot of us are not seeing the types of abundance we might be expecting. Is there something that most people do wrongly based on our conditioning? I think the thing to focus on is how things occur rather than looking for what I'm doing wrong. If we look at how things occur, nothing occurs by happenstance or coincidence or accidents. There is a inherent system by which all things occur. If you think about it for a moment, everything is created twice. Everything. The clothing we're wearing, Zoom was created twice. The technology, whether you're using a laptop or a tablet or a cell phone to be in this meeting with us, you look around the walls, the ceiling, the floor, everything was created twice, which means it had to be a thought before it could be a thing. So there's an invisible side to all things visible, all things. Over the last 50 years, we've discovered how that applies in our health, that there's a mind-body connection and that you can't think resentment and have optimal health any more than you can think certain thoughts and have abundant flow of energy in your life. So we create inner restrictions to the outward abundance we want. So when we begin to unpack, because then it's a proven reliable system about how to make those changes, it becomes obvious and easy after that. Now, this is fascinating. So you're talking about being created twice. A thought needs to originate. So there has to be an element of creativity. Yet this seems to not be resonated with a lot of people. We don't seem to inherently get it. Is it because most of us are trying to shortcut our way to an outcome without thinking of a process? And if there is such a process, what are the things we should be doing to get control of those thoughts that seem to be kind of all over the place? Well, first of all, have a vision. Without vision, you don't have a direction and you're just sitting in your boat going down the river of life and you're just responding to everything coming at you. So you live a very reactive based life. Once you notice once you have a vision and then I believe the number one life mastery tool is to notice what you're noticing. Because here's the deal. Your thought is either expansive or contractive. And you can feel it in your body, actually, if you think, oh, my God, this horrible thing can happen. And oh, my God, if that happens, and this is going to happen, and that is going to happen, you can literally feel the contraction in your nervous system. But if you have a different mindset or a different way of generally thinking, different ideas come to you on the frequency of expansion than come to you on the frequency of contraction. Once you're on a thought train, that thought train is going to take you to the destination of the vibration that's on that thought frequency. That's kind of the backdrop of it. But the first thing is think about an area where you want more abundance. You know, and I created this program, Eight Spiritual Secrets, for multiplying your money. So everybody has some money. And we also have beliefs that actually are these hidden restrictors to allowing more abundance. The universe or the infinite or the energy, life, give it whatever name you resonate with, never holds back from us. It's all available, but we can only allow into our lives what we're in harmony with. And so when we say we want more abundance, but we're actually in harmony, not even knowing it, with the thoughts and the patterns that create restriction, wanting it isn't enough. We have to learn the process by which we move ourselves to be a match to the frequency of the reality we want. <laughs> then things occur that you can't make occur, but are on that frequency. I really like this topic. And I've heard about how, you know, your thoughts can obviously bring you to the things that you want to create. Your thoughts will always be the first thing to lead. But is it that it demands 
more energy or consciousness for us to stay in expansion? Is it that so many of us find ourselves being by default in a contraction state? It's just training. We got trained. Our parents didn't know. I was raised in a family where money didn't grow on trees. If you want more, you got to work harder and longer hours. And everybody thought that way. Nobody knew that wasn't the only way it could occur. That is one way. I mean, you can produce more by working harder and longer. It's just exhausting to achieve a result that way. There's much, much easier ways to create results that you want. But the first step is to have a vision of what you really do want. And then to begin to look at some of the patterns or precepts that we were trained in. As I mentioned, most people, if they want to buy something or have something, they look to their available means for permission. There's a different way to operate. Most of us here on your program have an awareness or a belief that there is an abundant universe. And yet we continue to have certain amounts of that abundance that we allow into our life. And so what do we do? How do we move past that? I want to quickly just share a story about how I got into all this, if it's okay with you. Please do. I grew up in a place called Beaverton, Oregon, on the West Coast of Oregon. And I had a high school experience like most young girls dream about. I was class vice president on the drill team. My junior year, my high school boyfriend came home on spring break. I got pregnant. And May 1, I tell my mom and dad, I'm in my end of my junior year in high school, I'm pregnant. We had a hasty 10-person wedding. Then a couple of weeks later, the principal called me at his office and said, are these rumors I'm hearing about you true? And I said, if the rumors are that I'm pregnant and married in that order, then yes, they are. And he says, well, he just put his head in his hands. And he said, Mary, you have terrific honors great grades, but you will not be allowed to return here for high school for next year. It would be totally inappropriate. This is 1966. Totally inappropriate for a pregnant girl to get mixed in with the normal girls. And I had always wanted to be a teacher. And now I'm pregnant. So I didn't see it as a dead end. I saw a detour. I'm going to have a baby. It's going to take me a little longer, but I'm doing this thing. But no, you can't come here to finish high school. But we do have a place for people like you. It's after dark. Actually, in a part of Portland across a river, I hadn't been allowed to drive in after dark. And it's where the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys go to high school. So next fall, I registered, and now I'm doing my senior year with pregnant girls and delinquent boys. And there's a lot of subtext messaging. I must be a really bad girl because now I'm with delinquents. That's my student body. So I don't know where each of you were when you started the equivalent of your senior year in high school, but that's where I was. My son, John, was born in December. I graduated from this Washington Evening High School. I wanted a diploma because I wanted to become a teacher in May. And in July, I'm in an intensive care ward in a Portland hospital, having been diagnosed with fatal kidney disease. One kidney is totally destroyed with nephritis. The other kidney has 50% nephritis active kidney disease. And I'm told if we can get the blood toxin level in my body reduced enough to remove the right kidney, then maybe I'll have six months to live. I have a seven-month-old little baby. I... I'm terrified. I don't know if I'm ever going to see him walk. He and his dad are staying with my parents so my mother can watch our baby while my husband's working. And I'm in this intensive care ward. And my belief at the time, beliefs are hidden. You only know a portion of your own beliefs. You know some beliefs you're conscious about, but there's a lot of beliefs. And this is why it applies to us with money. We don't even know we have them. I had a hidden belief that really was referential to the God I was raised with, which was that God is a punishing God. So I must be a bad girl and I'd go to school with delinquents. And my best girlfriends I'd grown up from fourth grade with, their mothers had gotten together when they found out I was pregnant and refused their daughters to see me. I lost my friends, my student body. 
And now I'm being punished and I'm not even going to be able to live. I'm terrified. And finally, the night before the surgery, a woman walked in who identified herself as a chaplain, offering prayer for people going to have surgery the next day. She said every time she came, she got a list of the people who are having surgery in the order of the most seriousness. My name was at the top of the list. Did I want someone to pray with me? And I was scared. And I said, please. And she pulled a chair next to my bed. She didn't do anything that looked like prayer. She talked to me and she said, would you be willing to tell me what's been going on in your life the last year or two? And I told her my story at the end of which she looked at me and she said, Mary, everything's created twice. It was like I had no landing page for that. That was the first time I ever heard that concept. And she said, you know this, everybody knows it. Almost nobody knows the power of knowing this. And then she said, the bed you're laying on, the nightgown you're wearing, the sheet that's covering you, the the walls, the ceiling, the floor, all this machinery you're hooked up to had to be a thought before it could be a thing. And now that you're considering how everything is created twice, I want you to consider this. I hear how much you love your little boy, but I also hear how much you've been hating yourself. You feel like you shamed yourself, you shamed your school, you shamed your family. Considering how everything is created twice, could there be the possibility of a correlation between that toxic thinking and the toxicity that is rampaging your body and threatening your very life? Now, this is before we had a mind-body clinic at Harvard. Now, we didn't have, Sheldrake hadn't written, you know, quantum field theory. We didn't have all that. It certainly wasn't public to know about it. This is 1967. And then she said, could you believe in a universe of infinite possibilities, could there be a possibility where we could do a prayer tonight in the morning? The doctors look at you and say, wow, you look so much better. We better test you. They test you and they say, you're healed. You can get up and go home. She said, could you believe that's possible? And I told her the truth. No, (laughs) there wasn't one part of me believed that she was going to say words. I mean, I had been in so much pain. I couldn't even sleep at night, no matter how much pain medication they gave me. I mean, I was desperately sick. And then she said, all right, if you can't believe that, could you believe this? And one of the things she said, which helped me kind of realize some of what she was saying might be true. She said, you know that if you think embarrassing thoughts, your cheeks get red. You know that if you think scary enough thoughts, your heart will beat faster. Could it be that if you think enough toxic thoughts, your body might show up as toxic? And then she said, so if you did live, what would you do with your life? Now, she didn't say, we want a vision for your life. She didn't say that. She just said, if you did live, what would you do? And I said, I would raise my little boy, number one. And number two, I would become a teacher. And she said, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to say a prayer, but I want you to agree that there has to be one possibility where after this surgery, instead of getting worse, you could get better. Can you even imagine that with infinite possibilities, could there be one possibility where that could happen? Nobody I knew said that. The doctors, they were so sorry. They felt horrible that they didn't have medicine. We didn't have transplants. We didn't have dialysis then to help me. But she said there was a possibility. And she said, here's what I want you to do. After the surgery, you're noticing is going to be on the pain. Then as that ebbs, the mind has well-worn thought patterns. It's like you're going down the same roads all the time, and you don't even know it. Unless you notice what you're noticing, you won't know what thought you're thinking. So she said, you're going to notice the pain. When that ebbs, your mind is just going to want to keep repeating the thoughts you've been thinking about what a bad girl you are and how you're being punished and all these thoughts. And she said, so here's what I want you to do. Every time you catch yourself thinking a self-loathing thought, interrupt it. 
Because what we're going to do with the prayer is use our imagination to put all the dis-ease in the one kidney that's going to get removed. And when it gets removed, instead of you getting worse, you can start to improve and get better. So she did this prayer. And then she said, so you interrupt it. You notice a self-loathing thought. You say, no, that left with the kidney. Then she said, the universe abhors a vacuum. You can't just let go of something. You've got to replace it. So I want you to imagine immediately say, no, that left with the kidney. And then imagine you've got a little boy's hand in yours. Feel the warmth of his hand. He's five years old. You're walking into a school and he's going into kindergarten and that's your little boy and you're there. And hear the click, click, click of your heels around the corner and you've got your first classroom. And then fast forward and you're sitting in a big auditorium and down on the floor are all these caps and gowns and your son's name is called and he's graduating from high school and you feel so happy for him and your teaching career is growing. And then fast forward and you're sitting in the front row of a wedding. You're the mother of the groom. Your son's marrying the love of his life and your teaching career is flourishing. Just keep repeating that. And she left. They did the surgery the next day. They told my family the one kidney was totally destroyed. They removed it. The other one was withered and pockmarked with all the nephritis that was in it. They didn't know how long it would have. Time would tell. And the first week, nothing changed. And then the second week, instead of my numbers dropping, it was things began to stabilize. And then a little improvement, a little improvement. After about two weeks, they said, well, maybe you're going to have a little more time than we thought. And they let me go home in an ambulance. I couldn't even get my head off the pill as long as I went to the urologist three times a week to get monitored. And my numbers just kept improving till five months after that surgery, I'm sitting in a conference room at the hospital with the surgeon who did the surgery and all different people. And the surgeon said, I saw that kidney. We have no science for why that one kidney that was pockmarked and withered is functioning as a whole functioning kidney. We don't know how long that's going to last, but we're going to put medical anomaly on your chart. And that was 1967. And I've had, <laughs> that's all been perfect for me. I was too young to be interested in how it occurred. I was just grateful that it did occur. But a few years later, when I was getting my undergraduate degree, one particular class that caused me to start thinking, that didn't just happen to me. It must have happened with me. What really happened there? And I got very interested. And of course, over the many, many years I've studied and taught, if you turn on your television, you are never going to get discovery if you turn on CNN. But the frequency for CNN is going to give you CNN every single time. <laughs> and if you want abundance, you can't be thinking problems and lack and who's to blame. It's not on the same frequency. Uh, but those frequencies get distributed everywhere and a lot of people are hooked on it. First off, this is a wonderful story. And have you ever reconnected with that miracle lady that came to share those messages with you. As I said, a decade later, I opened up a work beginning to teach transformation. She came one time, introduced herself to me. And we had this wonderful connection, but that was the only other time. You know, you look back on your life, and you think, I should have interviewed her. You know, I should have found out more, but I didn't do it. Incredible. But you know, this really confirms the power of the thoughts. And I love how you were able to take that negative thoughts and all that toxicity and you were able to replace it, which if we translate this into the world of money, a lot of us is like the thoughts of money is the root of all evil. There's not enough for me. I'm not smart enough for it. You know, the opportunities I always miss them. Like these are a lot of things that can pass through our minds as we think about money. Now, obviously I don't think you're recommending anybody to lose a kidney at this point. What would be an exercise for us to be able to make a stand and be like, yes, I want to separate from these negative thoughts and replace it with something better? 
we go through all of the eight spiritual abundance blocks, the blocks that are in the energetic field. But let's talk about a couple of them here because it can be helpful for anybody. Deep down, if you have a lack of deserving, if deep down there's a sense that you don't actually deserve abundance because you haven't been perfect or you did something you regret, that lack of deserving actually becomes like magnets can attract or they can repel. The sense of lack of deserving is actually a repellent to more and more abundance. You have to have a relationship with your mistakes or failures. You elevate the mindset from one frequency to another. We make mistakes, but we're not a mistake. Every one of us makes mistakes. The thing about a mistake is if you learn from it, you're not going to make that mistake again. So you don't have to carry the regret or the shame, particularly shame is a very toxic energy. And that's really what I carried for that year and a half. And it almost took me out. I teach ways to establish through a number of both things you say to yourself and listening. If all of you come tonight or today, whatever time zone you're in, if you take nothing from this, take the notice what you're noticing. First of all, use that faculty that you have right now. Notice your feet. Do you have shoes on them or are you barefoot? What are your feet touching? And notice your feet and your ankles and your calves and your knees and thighs and bottom and belly and up the front of your chest and up the back of your chest, across your shoulders, down your arms, right cheek, left cheek, tip of your nose, top of your head. Notice your body. Notice your thinking. You've been thinking thoughts. You're either interested in this or bored or wondering where it's going and are you actually going to get something you can take and use. Notice whatever the thoughts are. Don't judge them. Just notice your thoughts and notice your feelings your emotions are actually the reflection of the vibration you're in. When we say I'm feeling anxious, know this, you were having anxious bearing thoughts before you felt anxiety, or I'm just feeling at peace. The instigator of that vibration or feeling, because we have a bihemispheric brain with corpus callosum or the connective tissue between the right and left hemisphere of the brain and fluid surrounding that brain going up and down the spinal cord. The fluid picks up the vibration, communicates it to every cell, fiber, bone, and it doesn't end with our skin. We're in a sea of energy. So when we're in contraction and fear and resentment and chaos, and that dictates, that vibration dictates what can be ours. So we think we want more, but if we're vibrating at contraction, those two things don't match. It's actually a hidden code for unlocking all that. Mary, I love that we're able to actually become more aware of awareness because I think a lot of us are actually being very distracted. And I feel like even as you chase the opportunity for money, if you're not even being present with yourself, it's almost like you can't embody the thoughts that you have because some of us might be saying, okay, I want to get rid of these negative beliefs around money. So all I'm going to do is I'm just going to say, I deserve abundance. I want abundance. Is that a ritual that we should do? But it sounds like here, it's more about being present. And there's so much more to it than just saying the it. The more you chase money, the more it runs. You can't get right. it by chasing it. <laughs> <laughs> so money runs fast. That might be a true one. But instead of just saying the affirmation, thinking it automatically comes, there's more to it. Yeah. And lack of deserving, there's not enough to go around. So there's a sense of, oh, if I really want more, there won't be enough to go around. I'll be disloyal to somebody else by having more. There's a number of them, Jason. But for tonight, or for today, it's nighttime where I am. If you have a vision for what you would love in your life, nobody wants stacks of money. You don't actually want money. You want the freedom that comes with money to create and give and make a difference. And so when we put our attention on what the money would do, when she said, what would you do with your life? I'd raise my little boy. I'd become a teacher. 
I had no idea what kind of teaching it would be. One of the lectures I went to not long after I started getting interested in transformation, I'd heard about this one teacher who was just massively successful in teaching transformation. And I wanted to create a career where I could really help people. And I went to hear him speak in Los Angeles. And he was filling Lincoln Hall in New York City, which is a massive lecture hall. Every week he was filling that. You know, I didn't have anything going on at that point. So it was very impressive to me. So I went there to hear him lecture. He was in his 80s. He came out and looked around the audience. There were 3,000 of us there. And I had my notebook ready to take notes. And he opened up his wallet. He pulled his wallet out, opened it up, pulled out a big stack of cash, spread it out in front of all of us, this money, hundreds and fifties. I was carrying hundreds and fifties in those days. And then he had spread this money out in front of all of us. First words he said is, this is money. I love money. I love money. And then he went, and he kissed it. I felt revulsion. And the thought, this guy's not even spiritual. I was thinking, what is going on? I traveled all this way to hear this guy. I'm just disgusted. And then he put the money back in his wallet. And then he said, so I have a question for you. I don't want you to say it out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand. But notice what you were thinking when I did what I did. If you were feeling disgusted or you had judgment, or maybe you even thought this guy's not spiritual. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he reached right in and he read my, and he said, I want to ask you a question. I want to tell you something. First and foremost, then I'm going to ask you a question. First of all, know this, money heard you. Why would it come where it's not loved? Let me ask you a question now. Instead of doing what I just did, if I did this, I came out on stage and I've got a little darling, little four-year-old little boy in hand. And I pick up that little boy and I say to all of you, look, this, this is my grandson. I love my grandson. Not one of you would have had judgment or criticism or thought that guy's not spiritual. Because you've been programmed, it's okay to love a grandchild, and it's not okay to love the symbol of your own freedom. Money is nothing more than a symbol of the amount of freedom you're willing to allow yourself in this lifetime. And there are laws by which it operates. They're not governmental laws, they're spiritual laws. And you want to discover what those are and learn to employ them so you can have and make the difference. Money is only good for two things. It's good to make you comfortable enough so you can be creative enough to give your full gift and bring the full measure of the geniuses inside each one of you. Wow, that is amazing. And I think for everybody here, if you're listening on the podcast, I'd be curious to know what were the thoughts that came up for you in that moment the person decided to say, I love money. And for those of you who are in the live audience, of course, I'd love to see in the chat, what were the thoughts that came up to you? And of course, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to be part of these live conversations, we're going to be doing an extra Q&A with our members. Just go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to find out more. Mary, this was a fantastic conversation. And I know for those who are curious, we're going to be putting a link in the show note for those of you who want to go deeper into this topic. The eight spiritual secrets of multiplying your money is going to be made available there. People can learn more there. Can you tell us more about what to expect when we sign up for this? It's an eight-week program. And once you, of course, enroll in it, you'll have it forever. I would highly encourage you to do one a week because it needs to filter in and go down deep so that it actually literally will move you through a process of rewiring your major dominant way in which you relate to more and more abundance. 
what I've loved over the time since I made it about a year ago is maybe a year and a half ago, the letters, emails, and texts from people all over the world, what a difference it makes, no matter what age someone is or where in the world they are, there's an unlocking and unleashing of the power that's within every one of us to have the freedom we dream of. Amazing. Mary, thank you so much for your time. Your story was so moving and powerful. Your concepts are so good to know. For everybody paying attention, you know that everything is created twice, first in your thoughts and then in this physical reality that we perceive. So are you conscious and paying attention to what those thoughts are? If not, the first thing that Mary spoke about that is very powerful is how do you start noticing more of what you're noticing? Where does your attention go? Be conscious about that because especially when it comes to money, we have automatic judgments and beliefs that come up from the programming that we've had, which a lot of us have seen has been made based on contraction, but on expansive thoughts is where you're going to see more abundance come. And so how do you start paying attention and noticing the things that are expansive, the abundance. When you see people with money, can you be like, wow, I admire the freedom they created for themselves. What are the things that you can see? So your beliefs really start changing. And of course, the toxic thoughts can really toxify the body as we've seen in Mary's case. So be aware of the shame, the guilt, and all those negative thoughts. Instead, think about the vision you have in your life. And don't just go and claim, oh, I just want to be abundant now. Build the vision. Mary talked a lot about how you can have that vision for your future. See yourself living that vision because it's not about the money. It's about what freedom and experiences you're going to be able to have once you have that freedom. And of course, we covered only a few of the money ideas and secrets when it comes to being more spiritually abundant. You're going to be able to discover more on our program. The link is in the show notes. You'll be able to go through that. It's an eight-week program that is going to be super powerful. And this conversation was incredible. So Mary, once again, thank you so much for coming with me and sharing these ideas and everybody tuning in keep being superhuman once again everybody thanks for tuning in to superhumans at work i'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that i get to find now if you're subscribed to the show definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life and these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver, where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.